Hello, my friends. Today, Joel is talking to Amit, the CTO at Zscaler, and they discuss why security should follow users wherever they go, how 5G technology is pushing data and security to the edge, and the three Ps of attracting top talent, people, purpose, and pay. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Well, uh, I uh, was born and brought up in India. I was uh, what you would say a classic nerd. <laughs> I did well in school. Um, I went to uh, IIT Delhi, which is uh, like a great engineering school in India. And then from there, I uh, found my way to um, MIT in Cambridge, uh, did my master's and PhD there. Um, I, you know, I was working on uh, low power system design, things that would enhance the battery life of your uh, iPhones today, right? Um, and that's, uh, that's how I got into, uh, uh, into the industry. Um, the first company out of MIT was uh, a wireless semiconductor company. It was a company called Engine. Um, it was uh, what you would call an extended uh, MIT research lab. <laughs> a lot of my friends, including my uh, faculty advisor, uh, joined. And um, it's funny because I think we were trying to invent rockets when people really only wanted bicycles. So uh, the company wasn't a huge commercial success. Uh, but I uh, learned the importance of product market fit, right? You don't just uh, <laughs> design products that, uh, that are cool, but nobody really wants to buy them right away. Um, uh, one of the interesting problems that we were solving at that time um, in the wireless world was, uh, you know, how do you scan the entire 2.4 gigahertz RF spectrum and look for uh, all types of activity, whether it's Bluetooth devices or you know, wireless security hacks or rogue access points or whatnot. And uh, the classic challenge in uh, in wireless, as you know, is it's half duplex. When I'm talking, you know, you can't listen. And so, you know, either I'm transmitting or I'm receiving. Uh, so what, that was one of the core problems that uh, we had solved. And uh, that actually got me introduced to a company called Air Defense. Um, so as my first company, NGIM, was... Uh, uh, was uh, kind of going through an asset sale. Uh, this company called Air Defense was struggling with a problem, which was how do I uh, how do I detect rogue wireless devices on uh, you know on uh, the entire uh, 802.11 spectrum? And uh, I said, hey, look, that's the exact problem that we had solved, or one of the many problems we had solved. And um, I uh, became the chief technology officer for Air Defense. Uh, um, that's where I met Jay Chowdhury, who's the CEO and founder at Zscaler. Um, and Air Defense was a you know, huge commercial success. Um, it was uh, right around the time when wireless hacking had become very prominent. Uh, you know, TJ Maxx had been breached by a bunch of hackers sitting in the parking lot and connecting to the wireless systems inside the store. Uh, they were able to siphon off 40 million credit cards. And everyone suddenly became hyper aware of, hey man, we need to do something about wireless security. And it just can't be anyone can connect to anything. And you know, people had rogue wireless access points plugged into uh, the Ethernet jacks under their table. So Air Defense was essentially uh, looking at solving wireless intrusion and wireless uh, rogue devices. And uh, it got uh, deployed in many, many places, you know, UPS, lots of uh, retail uh, stores and distribution centers, and uh, ultimately got acquired by Motorola, uh, Motorola Symbol business, which at that time was number two. It was Cisco and Symbol in the wireless land world. So I was uh, at Motorola for a bit uh, as uh, uh, their chief technologist for uh, their enterprise networking and communication business. And uh, shortly thereafter, I uh, joined uh, Zscaler. Uh, and Jay Chaudhary was also the founder and CEO uh, of Zscaler. And I'd known him and uh, been at Zscaler for uh, 11 years. Uh, it's been a, a wild ride uh, from zero to over 40 billion in market cap. 
you know, it's one of those uh, rare occasions in your career when you get to build a rocket and fly it. And, uh, you know, you aim for the moon and, uh, you know, you get to the moon and you realize you have, you know, four more booster rockets. And so <laughs> then you aim for Mars. That's how I feel. It's been an uh, exciting ride at uh, Zscaler. I uh, uh, run all of engineering, cloud operations, uh, you know, R&D and uh, customer service for the company. So sort of the post-sales side of the house. Uh, and uh, you know, we're very fortunate. Uh, you know, we're driving secure digital transformation as a category in the industry. Uh, and given, uh, uh, given where the industry is now, with applications moving to the cloud, and users being everywhere, you know, they, that whole fundamental security paradigm is going through an enormous transformation and, uh, you know, Zscaler is uh, leading the charge there. So how do you explain Zscaler? Like what's your, I'm assuming if you're that large, you have multiple products or lines of business and maybe some consulting in there. How, what's, what's the simple explanation of it? Well, uh, if you look at the genesis behind Zscaler, you know, back in 2007, it was very straightforward and that North Star is still true. Um, back in 2007, there was one cloud application called salesforce.com. <laughs> you know, there wasn't <laughs> much of SaaS. I think AWS was just taking off. I think the, the first iPhone had just come around. And at that time, kind of the bold vision was if your workloads move to the cloud and your employees are everywhere and accessing applications on mobile devices, what does that do fundamentally to your security architecture, right? And uh, you know, traditionally, security in, the, in, in enterprises is, uh, is, is a very network perimeter-centric architecture, right? You have firewalls and you have VPNs to connect into your network. And when you're on the network, you're treated differently and you're secure. And when you're out of the network, you're not. Uh, but the question we asked ourselves was if, if the center of gravity moves outside the enterprise, if applications are in the cloud and users are everywhere, and look at us today, everyone is sitting at home and everyone is accessing applications from anywhere in the world. If that is true, then what does how what does the security architecture look like, right? And our simple answer was, uh, if that's the world we live in, then security should follow the users wherever they are. Uh, security should be delivered as a cloud service right next to the applications uh, that users are accessing, right? Uh, if I'm in San Francisco and I'm accessing um, Office 365, uh, well, Microsoft has a data center in the Bay Area, right? And I'm sitting in San Jose. I should be able to go straight to that application and all my security inspection and business policy should be applied uh, on that shortest path. Uh, you know, I shouldn't have to go through my corporate data center, which happens to be in Chicago or New York, and hairpin my traffic just to go through some legacy uh, security appliances that might be sitting in that network-centric model, right? So I think Zscaler is not a product, it's a architectural transformation of your network and security for a modern uh, you know, cloud and mobile-first world. And what we do is essentially we've built a service across 150 data centers worldwide you know, you can't travel faster than the speed of light. So you need a, a you know, a security inspection uh, close to where you are. And that security inspection better be right next to uh, where the bulk of the internet or where, you know, your SaaS applications are hosted. Uh, in the example I just described, you know, user, me being here, trying to access an application. So this, this network uh, across 150 data centers, uh, think of it as a, as a check post. We call it the zero trust exchange. And what, what does that check post do? Users and applications connect to Zscaler, you know, using the shortest path. You come to us, we terminate that connection. We look at, uh, we, you know, look at who the user is, what's your context. Uh, we inspect content and based on business policies, we then connect you uh, to the right applications. And in the process, we're making sure that nothing, uh, nothing good is leaking out, nothing bad is coming in. You know, you get a fast user experience. You know, your attack surface is reduced since you're behind Zscaler. Um, and uh, it is a security and network architecture for a modern work workforce that we live in today. So what are the problems that people are having? Like you obviously get to talk to a lot of your customers and do these, you know, go through these implementations and stuff. What's the problems that are causing them that they experience right before they reach out to you? 
Well, you know, if you look at just the broad cybersecurity trends, Joel, uh, I mean, it is shocking. I think some of the stats I've read, there's a cyber attack happening uh, every 39 seconds or so. You know, it takes on average over 200 days for organizations to identify, just identify that they have been actually compromised or breached. Uh, one in 13 sites on the internet have some malware on it, right? Uh, if you just look at uh, the ransomware damage estimates in this this year alone, you know, 2021 so far, it's over 20 billion, right? So uh, I think all organizations are kind of grappling with the fact that their uh, legacy security architecture is just not working anymore, right? And that legacy security architecture worked in a world where, where you know, your applications were in your data center, your employees, you know, uh, were on a network inside an office and, uh, you know, your network model was a classic hub and spoke model, right? Here are my branch offices, here's headquarters, you know, I have expensive MPLS WAN connections that connect all of these offices. And, uh, you know, once you're on the network, everything is secure. You know, I call it the the coconut model of security, right? Sort of hard and crunchy outside and kind of soft and gooey inside. Uh, so once you're inside, everything is available, right? And that leads to a lot of the problems uh, where one infected machine comes on the network and then you you know it, it propagates malware laterally, right? You look at ransomware infections. If you know you you get into the network and uh, because uh, because you know, once you're on the network, you're trusted. Lateral propagation happens, and more machines get infected. Maybe your domain controllers get compromised, and and yeah, that leads to further data exfiltration and and some of the issues that we've seen. So all our customers who come to us are seeing these challenges where that uh, where the traditional firewall VPN network centric approach to security just doesn't work. I think they all. Uh, are recognizing that the internet has become the new corporate network. You know, identity is the new perimeter and sort of zero trust is the new security architecture. Um, and if I have to transform my analogy, I'd say, you know, you need to go from that coconut model of security, right? Hard, crunchy outside, soft, gooey inside to probably more like a guacamole model where you have a, you know, hard shell of your core assets, your data that you want to protect. And everything outside is kind of soft and gooey. And, and that model requires you to change networking, security, mindset. Right? <laughs> uh, and uh, that's the whole uh, digital transformation that organizations are going through. And with Zscaler, they're going uh, through a secure digital transformation. I hope your salespeople use that when they're talking to customers. Like, we're going to convert you from a coconut to guacamole. <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes uh, simple analogies work, uh, but it is true. You you look at how organizations have set up their uh, security practices. It is a very, you know, there are different names: castle and moat, right? You know, hub and spoke. Uh, coconut is kind of just a simple way of viewing it, but really, it's designed. Uh, to, to, to be more perimeter-centric. Uh, but if you look at how we operate today, where is the perimeter? I, you know, Zscaler's customers like Siemens have 300,000 employees worldwide. Every one of them is sitting in their own houses and, you know, or they can be anywhere. Are you going to start building a network perimeter that is encompassing everyone? It just wouldn't work. Extrapolate that, Joel, to what happens now when you start thinking of IoT devices and cloud workloads, right? Uh, and one of the bold missions that Zscaler has is to secure 200 million users and 100 million workloads. And you cannot do that with a old network-centric security model. You have to do it with a modern zero-trust architecture. Now, in an effort to better understand this, like let's say I'm a Zscaler customer and there is uh, like some ransomware they're trying to gain access laterally and like get more privileges. It, would you, is it part of your services where you guys would actually respond to that attack or do you, would you like notify of that attack? Where would it go in a, in an attack situation? That's a great question. So, you know, Zscaler sits in line and we stop attacks and let's look at it into in three buckets, right? 
if you're familiar with the cybersecurity kill chain, you know, kill chain is the multiple steps that happen uh, from start to finish for an attack to be successful. And it could start off with something like a reconnaissance scan where a, a threat actor is trying to figure out you know, what's the best way to get into Joel's organization, right? Uh, and then it could start with uh, that lead to maybe some sort of a phishing email that's, you know, targeted towards you saying, look, they use, uh, you know, uh, Office 365 and, you know, they use Workday. So let me craft an email that sounds like it came from HR with a link that looks like it's coming from Workday from their chief people officer, right? So these are examples of kind of targeted, reconnaissance and phishing, right? So uh, the first thing that Zscaler does is to prevent infections, right? So uh, you wanna make sure that uh, your users are protected and typically uh, stage one infections happen through a phishing link of some sort where, you know, you get a link and a user, uh, you know, uh, just clicks on it and, and you know, uh, their, their machine gets infected. So, uh, you know, step one is to prevent that uh, to, to, to neutralize the kill chain uh, you know, early on by preventing the infection from happening. Now that's easier said than done because uh, most of the content today is end-to-end encrypted, right? So more, you know, more than 90% of the internet uh, by default has SSL encryption enabled, right? So this is where if you think you have a firewall that's protecting you, you know, that's kind of a, a huge mistake because firewalls are network layer devices. They're looking at packets and when encrypted, uh, you know, uh, TLS connections are flowing through, they're just blind, right? So a simple example could be, Joel, I could send you a Google Drive link, right? That has uh, a piece of malware. And, uh, you know, it'll be SSL encrypted. It'll be from a trusted uh, domain, google.com. You'll click on it and you'll get infected, right? So uh, it's very important to look at SSL encrypted content, open up TLS connections, see what is coming in, uh, you know, into your uh, user's machines and, uh, and analyze the content. I could send you a, an email with a, Excel file with a embedded, you know, macro virus where, you know, you click and there's, you know, something happens on your machine and it gets infected. So looking at content and analyzing content in real time as it's getting delivered to users is step one of preventing infections to begin with. And Zscaler does it because we are sitting in line as a proxy. You know, we, there's no direct path. Users come to us, we terminate that connection, we proxy those connections on your behalf, we fetch the content, we open up TLS, look at the content and say, hey, this is a bad spreadsheet, or this you know, looks like a obfuscated JavaScript that's trying to do something malicious, and just we, we stop that from ever getting to the user or the workload. So that's step one. Step two is you want to prevent lateral movement, right? And the lateral movement problem is when one machine gets infected on a network and you have unrestricted access to move on the network. And that's how that coconut model, the hub and inside the coconut, yeah. Inside the coconut problem happens, right? So, you know, your laptop's infected because you clicked on something and you weren't protected. And now one infected machine, I mean, what is the hacker trying to do? They're trying to discover what else is on that network. They're trying to get to perhaps a domain controller to harvest credentials. And once, you know, if you have that old school model of, you know, on the corporate network or not on the corporate network, and once you're on the corporate network, all bets are off and you can do whatever you want, that leads to lateral propagation issues, right? And there's a huge risk. Zscaler eliminates that too. So step step one, you prevent compromise. Step two, you prevent lateral movement. And the way you do it is by user to app segmentation, right? Think of it this way. A user comes to Zscaler. Zscaler checks business policies and says, this user is allowed to talk to this internal application. There is no concept of an internal network, right? Yeah, think of how your iPhone would talk to a Nest uh, you know, device on your home network. You're not VPNing to your home network and then roaming around freely on your home network to find that device, no. You know, the Nest device talks to a cloud service. Your iPhone talks to a cloud service. You assert strong identity. And once you've proven who you are, you are connected to the device, regardless of the network they are on, right? So that's a classic example of 
zero trust, where you're using identity, you're using policies, and you're not just putting a person on the network and letting them do whatever they want, right? So uh, step two of what Zscaler does is uh, user to app uh, segmentation, and you can extend that to app to app segmentation. Why should you know two apps on your corporate network just be allowed to talk directly without any uh, any kind of you know business policies in between? Yeah, why should this application have unrestricted access to your directory, or why should this UI server have unrestricted access to your SAP system? So, user to app segmentation, app to app segmentation, allowing entities with strong identity to talk to entities based on business policy. That's kind of the name of the game of zero trust segmentation. And that's what we do extremely well. So that's step two. Remember, first step, prevent compromise. Step two, prevent lateral uh, uh, movement. And step three is you want to prevent data loss or data exfiltration. I mean, what's the ultimate objective uh, for people trying to uh, get into your organization? It is to get access to your data, right? So I want to get into uh, Joel's laptop, extract information that might be uh, worthwhile. So because, again, we're sitting in line as a proxy, we are making sure that nothing good is leaking out. Uh, You know, if you accidentally drag and drop source code into your box folder or Google Drive folder, it's not just automatically, you know, going and uh, getting archived in the cloud. Because again, we're sitting in line and based on your business policies around data loss and exfiltration, we'll stop it. That also prevents threat actors from you know, leveraging uh, exfiltration holes and uh, being able to copy out data uh, either for extortion or you know, other purposes, right? So um, it is. I've got, a, I've got a question there. Yeah. I've got a question there. All right. Yeah. So let's say it's a policy. Like, I don't know a whole lot about how this works, but let's say I accidentally dropped my source code into Google Drive, right? And then there's some policy set up that's watching that traffic and watching that content and it says no, right? How does it delineate between like, if I actually want to put something on Google Drive or if it's something that should or shouldn't be put on Google Drive? How does it know that? It's a great question, right? So. Uh, you know, it, that is what I mean by business policies, right? Maybe, uh, you know, maybe your policy is that source code should always be in uh, a sanctioned GitHub account, right? And nowhere else outside the organization. So then, you know, any source code, uh, you know, from an authorized machine and an authorized user going to any other destination is a policy violation and it'll get stopped. Maybe you have a policy that uh, you, you, you can archive certain types of content on Google Drive. Maybe then you're looking for, well, is this my corporate Google Drive account or my personal account? So you want to do tenant level separation, right? Like all of us now have, here's my personal Gmail, here's my work Gmail, right? How do I, yeah. uh, how do I separate all of that? Th- those are examples of policies, right? And then there are, of course, workflows associated with it. And you want to simplify. I mean, the... The challenge for security is always how do you reduce business risk uh, without just becoming the department of no all the time, right? Like you got to, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, you you have to be pragmatic, reduce business risk, deliver outstanding user experience, right, uh, and uh, and and really make a meaningful impact on on securing the enterprise. Right? So um, you know, we we do, we do that in spades, and it boils down to. Uh, how effective your policies are, how easily you can administer it, right? And one of the things that Zscaler has done very well is simplify, uh, you know, those policies. If you look at firewalls, you know, you just to make a application like Office 365 work, you might have a thousand firewall rules. You know, with Zscaler, you can enable a single checkbox that says, Enable Office 365 because we are a proxy. We understand applications and we understand the underlying configurations that have to happen uh, to make it work. And so, if you are able to simplify policy management, improve workflows, you can have very effective business policies, like the example you were trying to uh, to describe, uh, where you meet your uh, risk objectives uh, without compromising user experience. That's pretty interesting. 
I don't want to get hung up on this code question, but like, how would I, you know, background software engineers, right? Like, let's say I have a folder and, you know, it's just my root GitHub project and it's on my local machine. Like, how, how would you define, uh, keep in mind too, I have no understanding of really defining policies other than like AWS type policies. Like I, I've never worked in a large corporate environment, but how, how would you say in that policy or define it to say that this code can't go out to Google Drive? Like, would it take a copy of that code and like look for it being streamed somewhere it shouldn't? Like, help me understand that. It's a great question, right? So you're talking about how data loss prevention actually works within Zscaler, right? So there are multiple layers to it, right? You can look at data loss policies as based on either exact data match, index data match, or regular expressions at a very broad level, right? So in the source code example, uh, Zscaler will have what we call DLP dictionaries that understand looking at content that this looks like Python code, this looks like, uh, this looks like you know, R, this looks like Golang, right? So it has, a, it has dictionaries that can look at content and say this looks like code, right? You, you then have the ability to do index data matches. You can take repositories, folders, files, and index them and say, if this exact file is, is going somewhere, match it, and then take a policy action. You know, that's looking at entire uh, files. You can also do what we call EDM, uh, which is exact data match for certain types of records. Now, they, those types are more applicable when you are talking about, you know, here's a... Here's a database with a billion records of account numbers and names, and I want to specifically match this 16-digit account number associated with Joel. And I want to make sure none of these, you know, I'm, I'm JP Morgan Chase, and here are my account numbers, and I want to make sure these specific account numbers are never seen in any outbound stream, right? So the short answer to your question is a combination of either regular expressions, pre-built dictionaries, you know, indexed documents, or exact data match of specific records, and you can you can craft policies uh, with, uh, with 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 context. And context is could be users, you know, departments, locations. You can say these users or these departments with these DLP dictionaries. Here's a policy action that you might want to take, and that's how you would build a rule set. And because there's no path to the internet without going through Zscaler, you know, in your developer example, all of those will just, you know, transparently get applied, right? So you could say my engineering department or this developer group or this specific developer, right, uh, allow access to GitHub, but block any source code or anything that matches these source code dictionaries or these index documents from ever getting to these categories of destinations. That makes sense. That's brilliant. Oh yeah, that's you know what. As you were talking about it, I was like, "That's exactly what you would need to do." Because some people would want exact source code matches. Other people would not want you to have that inside of your systems. Yep. You know, uh, some people would you know need different ways to do it, like more fuzzy ways to do it. That's brilliant, man. This is actually a really cool product. <laughs> I'm getting kind of excited about it. Yeah, I'm happy to hear. Look, we're, we've been at it for over a decade and. There's no compression algorithm for uh, experience, and we've been uh, chipping it uh, and uh, refining it, and uh, it's come a long way. So my next question, and I hope you don't mind that the interview's turned into me just like quizzing you on things I want to yeah. know as an <laughs> engineering leader. Okay, so uh, you're doing all of the, you've got these policies, you're monitoring this traffic. I think objectively, like you would have to say at some infinitesimal scale, there is a slowdown to some degree, right? Rather than being unfiltered, even if it's like un in in the you know the the real time that we live in, if it's unnoticeable, it's still mathematically would be there because it's doing something else. How do you get that down? Like how are you doing all of these things without slowing people's traffic down to the point where they're like screaming at their MacBook? Yeah. No, I, I think it's a great question. So yeah, this is where you start with good architecture. Right, um, and there's no substitute for good architecture. 
And, uh, you know, fundamentally, Joel, uh, I often say Zscaler solves two problems, and both are hard problems. One is a physics problem, and one is an engineering problem, right? Now, if you look at the old hub and spoke model that we talked about, it has a fundamental physics problem, which is just untenable in today's world, right? Most organizations that have that hub and spoke model, if you're a developer in a big bank, right, you might be anywhere in the world you are coming back to a couple of data centers. You're hairpinning all that traffic. Those WAN links are getting choked, right? Uh, you know, you might be sitting in Ukraine or the Bay Area or Bangalore, and you're still coming to one or two of these data centers and then routing your traffic to wherever else you were going, right? That hairpin causes excessive latency. It, those you know, WAN links are getting choked. Uh, you know, when we entered the pandemic, all of the users went out remote and suddenly you can imagine the, the pressure on, on a couple of these choke points because you're trying to come onto the network because there's no path without, you know, coming to those hubs. Um, with Zscaler, you go direct to your destination. That's a fundamental uh, thing that we change, right? Whether you are in the office, whether you are at home, whether you're traveling anywhere in the world, we will geolocate you and automatically send you to the nearest Zscaler data center. So when you are in San Francisco, you go through a San Francisco site. When you're in New York, you go through a New York site. You know, when you're in Johannesburg, you go through a Johannesburg site and you get the idea. You have 150 of these data centers. That itself solves a huge latency problem, right? That because you're going straight to your destination. And we do it in a way that you still get consistent policies no matter where you are. So, you know, CISOs and, and, and CXOs are happy that my users are getting the same consistent identical protection and they're getting the shortest path to the destination. Now, um, there's, a, there's a lot of, uh, you know, actual, you know, uh, cloud challenges that you have to solve. Um, you know, we, we don't operate a service in AWS or GCP, right? Why? Because... Uh, you know, we have to be cloud neutral and destination neutral, right? You might be trying to go to Azure because that's where your, uh, your, your dev stack is, or you might be using Office 365, or you might, uh, you know, be trying to access applications in AWS. So we have built data centers where the bulk of the internet uh, is pulsing through. Uh, where, you know, we, uh, we use carrier neutral sites that provide the maximum connectivity options in the region. You know, we could use Equinix in North America, Telstra in Australia, China Telecom in China, so on and so forth. Uh, once we have those sites, we then bring in tier one ISPs that provide best connectivity options in the region, right? Why? Because there's no one global service provider that makes up the internet. The internet is a collection of uh, these loosely coupled networks. Um, so we, we might use a GTT or a Zeo in North America. We might use a Airtel in India. You know, we might use a, uh, you know, uh, a different provider uh, in, uh, in EMEA, right? So all of these 150 data centers are built uh, at strategic locations on the internet with, in a cloud neutral, carrier neutral way with maximum connectivity options. We then go ahead and peer uh, with uh, content providers like Office 365, with Google, right? So we might be in a data center with internet exchanges where uh, where Office 365 is present, where Google is present, and we'll do BGP peering with them so that you know you're a millisecond hop away from them, right? All of this is solving that first problem I told you about, the physics problem. How do I take a user or a workload and get them to the destination in the fastest path possible, right? And that alone. You know, forget inspection. The fact that we have, you know, removed all the hairpinning and the choke uh, that you had in the hub and spoke model uh, is, is gives you, in many cases, an order of magnitude better performance because you're just using the, uh, you know, the direct path. Now, once you come to Zscaler, then your next question becomes applicable. How can I do all this inspection, all this scanning? You know, I'm looking at uh, opening up SSL connections, looking at content. You know, I might be looking for source code. I might be looking for malware. I might be looking for you know policy violations. How are you able to do that? And that's where we use what we call our single scan, multiple action. Right? Like one of the uh, the engineering problems that we solved was uh, how do I uh, how do I do this inspection, 
rapidly in memory, right? Uh, you know, with blazing performance. So when we started the company, uh, the first thing we did was look at the TCP/IP stack, right? I mean, you don't know of many security companies that say start off by saying we need to redo the network stack because it's very slow. And what did we do? We moved the entire TCP stack into uh, into user space uh, because the the standard uh, stack that you get is designed for just generic, you know, multi-purpose networking. And here, you know, we're looking at uh, being a high-speed product. So we want to reduce packet buffers from being copied from you know, kernel space to user space and all of that. We want to reduce memory copies. We want to be able to assemble uh, content in memory and fire all DLP engines and all malware engines and everything on it you know, in a single pass architecture. And that's where we gain uh, enormous performance advantages because we're not service chain. You know, in the traditional appliance world, what happens is you take a box. This box does DLP, looking at, for example, your source code. This box does AV scanning. This box does you know, advanced sandboxing. And when you do service chaining like that, what are you doing? You're, you know, you're, everyone is doing a network stack, has their policy engine. 70, 80% of the functions get repeated in a redundant way over and over again. When you're going through you know, a daisy chain of boxes, each one doing five, 10% of the things you want to do, right? So we've collapsed all of that into an architecture that we call single scan multiple action that gives you uh, the engineering boost that you need. So when you combine that physics boost with the engineering boost, you actually get uh, enormously better user experience. And uh, one of the, uh, one of the, core benefits of Zscaler is not only do you get outstanding security with you know massively reduced attack surface, you've you know refreshingly for a change, you get a very, very good user experience uh, because of the benefits I talked about. That's brilliant how you guys move the TCPIP up there. <laughs> that that is awesome. Like you got me. I don't want to get too nerdy. Like I like to keep the conversation like higher level, but I'll like my brain is uh, is very excited at that from a geek standpoint about how you guys did that. I have a lot of detailed questions, but I'm not going to go into them. Um, I am curious. Have you come across some of the newer technologies like the IPFS, the interplanetary file system? Yeah, you know we we're always looking at you know new ways to do. Uh, do the services that we do. In fact, uh, you know, uh, two new new areas that we've uh, expanded into. Uh, you know, one one I'd mention is around uh, digital experience, and uh, you know, one of the things that our customers came back and said, "This is great." You know, you're sitting between uh, users, workloads, and destinations, and providing a zero trust exchange and all the benefits that we talked about. Uh, but how do you um, how do you solve um, my experience problem uh, in the sense, you know, I'm the CIO and now my applications have moved to a cloud service that I don't control. Uh, my users are on the in- using the internet as their transport and I don't control that either. Uh, and in many cases, users might be bringing their own devices. I don't even control the device. So in a world where, you know, I have literally no control on anything, <laughs> if, uh, if, you know, my uh, my execs call me and say, hey, Zoom had an issue or Office 365 had an issue. Where do I start troubleshooting? And, and so one of the things that we launched was Zscaler Digital Experience. And what it does is it is, uh, it is looking at every user, every minute for all the applications that you care about and uh, you know, giving you an experience core that you can then uh, look at uh, in aggregate for your organization, for your location. You can compare to peers and say, well, Zoom in New York is indeed having a problem or Teams was down you know, in the Frankfurt area and it's not just me. So you know, as we look at some of these uh, uh, newer services, we are constantly looking at uh, newer technologies, you know, whether it's IPFS or, uh, or uh, you know, newer ways to do analytics or uh, you know, real-time uh, time series uh, data ingestion. Uh, you know, a lot of the things that we do are around uh, are leveraging uh, machine learning because if you look at it, we now have over 200 billion transactions per day that's being processed on the platform. 200 billion transactions per day. To put that in perspective, 
Uh, Google, you know, they don't officially report it, but if you search online, you'll see that they do about seven to eight billion searches a day. So the raw volume of traffic that the Zscaler platform is processing is, you know, uh, about 20x the number of Google searches done on a daily basis. So it kind of gives you an idea of, uh, you know, the scale at which we are operating. Now, when you have that kind of data, uh, you can, you can, you know, use machine learning to drive very powerful outcomes, whether it is better security, right? Uh, you know, if, you, if you've seen all ransomware strains out there, can you predict the next one? You know, if you have good models, you could. Um, how do I uh, you know, derive better user experience? Again, if I see those many transactions and I have good time series models, I can look at anomalies and say, huh, this doesn't look uh, uh, good compared to a baseline that I've learned. You know, Joel's experience on Tuesdays tends to be, you know, this and, you know, I see it's suboptimal, right? So whether it's better security or better anomaly uh, detection or, you know, better content classification, I mean, that's a basic thing, right? Uh, every day, lots of new websites are popping up, right? How do I know this is a phishing website? How do I know this is a, uh, a, uh, a blog about gambling and not a gambling website, right? So you can really throw a lot of machine learning uh, when you see data at that scale. And all of this requires us to constantly evaluate uh, the core technology stack uh, that we're using, not just the file systems, but also more importantly, you know, what kind of, uh, you know, um, modern uh, uh, processing stacks we should use that give us the performance we need at the cost we need to uh, operate under. Um, hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, it's pretty exciting what you guys are doing over there. Do you have a like a team, like a skunk works type team that's working on like super top secret stuff? Do you, have you gotten there yet? Yeah, yeah we, we do. Nice. You know, we have a uh, we have a, a fair number of what we call emerging technology initiatives. And uh, some of these are uh, under the radar. A few that we have talked about publicly, I'd mentioned, uh, you know, for example, uh, you know, we're doing a huge push uh, into OT and IoT, right? You can imagine if IT is this big, operational technology is that big, and it has far more significant challenges uh, from a cybersecurity perspective. Like imagine if you're, uh, you know, if you're, uh, a big auto manufacturer and, uh, you know, your uh, assembly line is brought down because uh, of a uh, attack or some sort of, a, uh, you know, a, uh, an extortion attempt. Uh, and the, the OT systems tend to be much older from a patching and from a vulnerability perspective. Why? Because, you know, I, I could have an MRI machine that's running on Windows and nobody can touch it because... Well, you It'll know, break. you don't want patients dying because you did an update, right? So it's running a system that is not being patched. You could have a robot arm in a, uh, you know, auto manufacturing assembly plant that's running some version of software that nobody can touch. So OT becomes a big challenge. How do I provide, uh, you know, secure remote access? How do I make sure there's no privilege escalation? How do I make sure that I can operate uh, these old machines, transformers and whatnot uh, over RDP sessions and SSH sessions without causing gigantic security holes. So that's one area that, uh, you know, we've extended our zero trust exchange to allow secure remote access to, uh, to OT environments, uh, you know, using identity and principles of least privilege that are fundamental to zero trust. Um, another area that we publicly talked about is 5G. I mean, you hear a lot of 5G buzz, uh, Joel, I'm sure uh, uh, a lot of your podcasts probably talk about it. But fundamentally, what is 5G doing? It's pushing compute uh, to the edge, right? So, uh, you know, I want my content cached right in my 5G tower. Right? When I'm watching my Netflix, I want the movie coming from there and not from, you know, some server that is, uh, uh, you know, downstream. So if if content and, and compute is being pushed uh, right uh, at the tower, shouldn't security be sitting right there, right? So again, the same problems that we've solved by moving security closer to users and destinations uh, just becomes, uh, you know, hyper, uh, you know, invisible when you start talking about a 5G architecture where uh, you're pushing more and more uh, 
you know, out there, close, close to the, the, to the user. Yeah, you just reminded me, like, I don't know, three or so years ago, I got to have the uh, CTO of Verizon on right, right when 5G was launching. They were like doing their first towers, I think in Texas or something like that. Right. And he was explaining to me like all the benefits and like how 5G is going to change everything. And now it's like, you know, it's been on my phone for a while now. And I'll tell you what, like for my experience, it's a lot faster. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And, you know, I think one of our missions is to make sure it remains faster, if not become fast, even more fast. Uh, while being secure, right? So that's kind of the that's that's the big challenge. Can we talk a little bit about leadership? I like to help out, like the next generation of technology leaders grow and and learn from great leaders like you. Is that cool? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so um, Kevin Kane is the CEO of Dacian. I did an episode with him a few months ago, and uh, their company does like you know, SAP, Microsoft partner, government contracts, enterprise type stuff. But we were talking about leadership. He was talking about this concept of like how he schedules uh, reflection, time for self-improvement. And I was curious, like, how do you go about carving out time for self-improvement? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, uh, I'm a huge believer in, uh, in the power of marginal gains. Um, and, you know, you might have a uh, uh, seen this uh, you know, amazing numerical statistic, uh, which says if you improve 1% every day, right, uh, over 365 days, that's a 37x improvement. It's actually shocking. You know, 1.01 raised to 365 is, is a number that is 37x. Now, obviously, it's very hard to sustain a continuous 1% improvement, uh, but I do believe in the power of uh, just... Uh, uh, better, better, never done, right? So, um, you know, constantly encourage that across uh, all teams and, and personally in my life, uh, uh, you know, what can I do better today? How can I improve? Uh, and that happens when, you, uh, when you're honest and you quietly reflect on uh, things that you did well. You do a small path, but then focus more on things that you could have done better. And that marginal continuous improvement stacks up over time to uh, just, uh, you know, stupendous gains. So that's, uh, you know, one thing that, uh, you know, we encourage all the time, uh, you know, we call it uh, uh, the philosophy of better, better, never done. And when you run uh, the kind of service that, uh, that we do, uh, growing, you know, Zscaler is a, uh, is, is a billion dollars in ARR growing at, you know, 55-ish percent uh, at, at that at that scale and that growth, what was awesome last year is barely going to work this year and sure as hell not going to work a year from now, right? So, uh, you know, challenging the teams to, uh, to, to continuously improve, to, to, to never stop and, you know, keep them motivated and passionate and dedicated and fired up is, uh, is the rocket fuel you need to, to, to sustain that kind of growth. I love it. You remind me, like I was watching, I think it was either like Atomic Habits or somebody, and they did this equation where it was like an hour a day, 365 hours a year. You divide that by a 40 hour work week. It's like nine full time work weeks. Yeah. Of like work. And so, like, if you want to do something, I've used this. I've used this to write a book. I've used this to start, you know, multi million dollar business. I've used this, and I don't like work insane amounts. Like I, I definitely was working like the, the 16 hour days and stuff until I figured out how not to, uh, <laughs> right. Cause that's, that's the time you make as the investment, right. uh, to learn how to work smarter. But it's so amazing. The, it's like Warren Buffett talking about the compounding nature of, of interest. And I don't know, it's hard for, it's hard for our brains to compute and it's easy to forget, but one hour a day being nine full-time work weeks to get a project done. I mean, everyone's got an hour in their day to, to improve themselves, whether it's their fitness, right. Or learning and education. So. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm a firm believer in that. Joe. Let's talk. I got a couple more leadership questions for you. For Is it. that cool? Yeah. All right. Sure. We're helping people right now. I'm at, <laughs> <laughs> so if you could design the perfect leadership training program for your direct reports. So this is the context. I know you're up at this company. It's this large company. So your direct reports are on like a, a high end level. So that's the context for this one. Mm -hmm. What would be in that training program? 
You know, I mean, it's a, it's a big question, but I'll, I'll share a couple of uh, my thoughts there, Joel. Um, ultimately, you know, when you talk to people, why they join companies, why they are motivated, it just boils down to what I call the, my rule of three Ps. You know, the first P, uh, when someone joins a company, it's largely because of the people, right? Uh, you often hear in the industry that, uh, people might join companies, but they quit managers, right? So uh, knowing that you're working with great people is, uh, is, is very important, uh, especially when you're going to spend more time with your colleagues and your, uh, and your teams than you probably will uh, with your friends or even your family, right? So, you know, making sure that, you know, you have outstanding people and outstanding people attract other outstanding people, Right. Uh, becomes a kind of a core aspect. So that's the first P. The second P is purpose, right? I think more and more you want to give people a purpose, right? Uh, early on in Zscaler, yeah, you know, I have super bright engineers come and they would say, hey, why should I join Zscaler? I have an offer from Google or some big company, right? And look at all the benefits that they offer and free food and free laundry and whatnot. And, and, uh, and then, you know, you kind of go back to, you know, the purpose. And purpose, quite simply, is, hey, the work that I do matters, right? And it's, uh, it's visible and it's impactful. And, uh, you know, I am contributing to something that's sort of bigger than myself. And, uh, you know, if you're, if you're an engineer in a 5,000-person organization, you're a little cog in a wheel, right? Uh, I mean, it's like... Uh, sitting in a big cruise ship versus being in a whitewater rafting expedition with, uh, you know, a fun group of friends where everything that you do has a direct bearing on uh, the momentum and kind of the direction of, uh, of your ship. So, you know, giving, uh, giving people that purpose, that clarity uh, that this is what I'm doing, this is why I'm doing it, this is how it has a direct bearing uh, on the outcomes for the company. And, uh, you know, I believe in that. Uh, and then the third P is pay, right? Everyone wants to make money, right? And uh, I think the issue of money, generally speaking, if the first two P's are met, is only as important as to take that issue of money off the table, right? And I often tell people, if you have those three P's, if you're chasing after just one, you know, that high from the 10% rise is just going to go away very quickly. If the people around you suck and you don't feel, uh, you know, that passion and purpose for what you're doing, right? So... That's kind of this general, you know, how, you know, how do we uh, motivate uh, uh, teams and, and make sure we hire the best and brightest and, 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 uh, and uh, you know, align them to, uh, to participate in the company's success. Overall training, um, you know, at Zscaler, um, our core values uh, are summarized by one word called topic, T-O-P-I-C. Uh, it's it's not one of those things that HR puts on a board and <laughs> a few people you know stare at a, a, a chart. Uh, I think we're going to live and breathe that every day, and uh, it's part of uh, our core training for managers. Uh, uh, the the five words that make up T O P I C topic: T is teamwork, O is open communication, P is passion, I is innovation, and C is customer obsession. If there's one thing that I uh, I think defines Zscaler, it's customer obsession, right? Uh, it starts with our uh, CEO founder, Jay. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll cancel a board call to take a customer meeting uh, if it's important, right? That's kind of how obsessed we are about making sure that our customers are successful and they, they get value. And that trickles down. I mean, it trickles down to engineers and operations folks. And if there's a customer issue, they'll drop whatever it is and try to help, right? So that's an important uh, kind of core value for Zscaler. You know, innovation, I think, uh, you know, I described many things that we have done and it happened, it won't happen if you're not innovating at a furious pace. And uh, innovation happens in quantum jumps. You know, innovation happens when you think outside the box. While we are obsessed with customers, uh, you know, uh, if you only listen to what customers want, you'll never be able to innovate in, in uh, quantum jumps, right? Like, I think there's a famous uh, Henry Ford saying that if I just listen to my customers, I would be breeding faster horses, right? <laughs> Not come up with an automobile, right? So, so I think innovation, you know, what, 
well, now 300 plus patents that are filed or, or granted, and it comes with that core DNA of how do we how do we solve this problem in a in a better way. Uh, and passion, I think uh, the one thing I look for when uh, when we are hiring is passion, right? If you have the drive, the passion, if you're sharp, uh, if you you know if you're a quick study, uh, you know. Um, the years of experience don't matter, right? In fact, if someone says, I have 20 years of experience, I say, well, you probably have one year of experience learning and then 19 years of experience coasting on it. So tell me what you've done <laughs> that was outside your comfort zone where you, you know, had some passion. So uh, I, I choose passion and drive any day over experience. You have to have some basic experience, right? I mean, well, passion, if you have passion and drive you over will time, experience. you, you so have figure yeah. it out, right? Yeah, I mean, look, some amount of experience is necessary. You, know, you won't go to a neurosurgeon and say, hey, you have no <laughs> medical degree, but you have passion, you know, operate away. So right? I think you need some skills, but, uh, but you get the idea. And then I think, you know, open communication uh, is something that's very important in, in, uh, in today's world, especially when employees are remote and, you know, you wonder whether people have legs because you only see them on Zoom, you know. <laughs> and just their face and torso, right? So I think it's important to 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 have frequent all hands communications and lots of one on ones and check ins. Uh, otherwise, uh, you know your teams can drift, and uh, you know and and all that leads to good teamwork. I think at the end of the day, making sure that everyone is aligned and rowing in one direction is uh, kind of the biggest challenge of a growing organization. Uh, you know, when you, I think Steve Jobs said it well, you have a team of five people and they are working wonders. And then you have a team of 50 and they're producing less than the team of five did because, you know, <laughs> the communication overhead and different people pulling in different directions. So, you know, aligning teams and making sure that they're all unified with one purpose and marching and, and uh, you know, excelling in the same direction becomes a very important uh, attribute for success. When you started, how many employees were there and how many are there today? When I joined, there were you know, about just maybe around 50-ish people, right? Just the early crew had grouped together and now we are north of 3,500. So you've seen that growth as the engineering lead. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That is so cool. And so community, if I were to ask you, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Communication during that expansion period is like, one of the most important things? I think, yeah, communication, there's not one thing, but yes, you know, you have to have open communication. People have to trust you. People have to, uh, you know, people have to believe. Uh, I mean, it starts with you believing and then, and, and, and then it kind of diffuses into the team. So open communication, very important. I wouldn't say it's the most important, but definitely amongst the top two, three. Nice. Everybody wants the buzzword though, man. Everybody wants the headline, the one thing they can do to be successful. <laughs> it's just I, like, I, I wish it was that simple, right? I think uh, I know. at the end of the day, if you have to pick one thing that makes a business successful, uh, I mean, the things that you control, right? Uh, you, you can't control timing and, 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 and markets, but the one thing that you can control is relentless execution, right? And the one thing that matters most for long-term success is execution. And execution doesn't happen if you don't have all those other things, right? If people are not motivated, and, you know, you don't have teams that are aligned. and They're not aligned because you don't have good communication practices. You know, the passion is depleting because nobody feels like they're doing anything purposeful, right? All of these things have to come together. Uh, they become ingredients. But the thing that matters above all else, if I have to choose one thing, it would be execution. Yeah, that's in line with, you know, everybody was asking me when I was doing talks, you know, they say, oh, you talked to all these leaders, like, what's the one thing? And so I kept having to like, avoid. I was avoiding the question because I couldn't give them one thing or I just randomly pick something. And so I sat down intentionally for a couple of weeks and was like, all right, what's my answer to this question when people ask me? And I, I put it all out there and I can't, it's a similar thing to execution. I just came up with persistence because like my logic there to back up the argument is as long as, you know, you have a reasonable amount of, of intelligence, like you can wake up, you can put on your shoes, you can go to the grocery store, you can take care of yourself, you can learn. And, uh, and then you have this drive, this thing you're going after. And as long as you don't give up, 
you're going to learn all the lessons. Like I would do a thing where I'd like want to research and know everything ahead of time and think I'm felt and I got security in that. And then I go into it and I get punched in the face and I was like, okay, well, I, I, then I did it again and again. And finally, after several times of doing that, I realized, look, I just have to go do it. I just have to go do it. I'm going to run into a bunch of problems. And I know I can't predict the problems along the way. It doesn't matter how many people I talk to. Like, I think I find it's a rare thing. Somebody like gives me advice and like it matches up perfectly with my situation. So yeah, persistence is what I came to. Yeah. Yeah. Persistence delivers execution, right? Yeah. They're, they're tied. Yes. And at the end of the day, I always say you, you either did it or you just have excuses. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.